This is Behind the Whistle. Let's get this bad boy started. That's awesome. Well, we appreciate you being here, Doc. This is absolutely amazing. Uh, before we dive into it, let me tell every single one of y'all just how amazing our guest, Dr. Brandon Jones, is the magnifying glass author himself. Oh, man. Oh, man. The shoulders upon which we stand. I know he's shorter than me. Y'all don't worry about that. This between this, 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 just that bromance. This, this, my brother. Man. I love Dr. it. Dr. Reverend Brandon Jones. How we doing, sir? Brother, I'm doing well. How you doing today, man? Oh, I'm I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I know we, we got a lot of stuff to dive into. Uh, we're it, gonna man. be appropriate with our conversation, obviously. Of course. We, got some, we got some providential things that are just gonna fly. Uh, uh, but I want to start off uh, by by you just first telling our listenership, you know, we building it. Uh, tell them about your journey to where you are today at UT and B. Jones Speaks and all of that good stuff. Sure. So uh, for everybody that doesn't know me, my name is Brandon Jones. I am from uh, the great city of Tyler, Texas. Um, we're known for barbecue, roses, and Earl Campbell. So, <laughs> you know, um, you know, we, we play a little bit of good football out there. Just a little bit. Uh, you know, just a little bit. Um, let's see. I was born and raised there. Um, I was a multi-household kid. So uh, my parents divorced when I was seven. So we bounced, I bounced around a little bit uh, before ultimately uh, I lived with my mother for a while. Then I lived with my dad. Mm -hmm. uh, but because my dad worked nights and my mom lived in Dallas, Mm -hmm. um, I would stay with my grandparents or I would stay with my aunt and uncle because uh, my, my big brother, a.k.a. my cousin Jonathan, uh, stayed there. So I was I was there all the time. So right. because of that, he was in the sports. So I got in the sports. Um, I graduated from John Tyler. Uh, I played football there. I did a little mm -hmm. track the first two years of high school and then just stopped because I wasn't really a fan of track, <laughs> uh, although I should have stuck with it. Um, right, right. I wasn't really a big fan of, of, of running uh, and still not <laughs> a fan of running, uh, but I love football. Always had a passion for football, loved it, mm -hmm. but um, played under um, Hall of Fame coach Alan Wilson. Yes, and man. if you know anything about Alan Wilson, Alan Wilson does not throw the football. <laughs> uh, you're going to run it. At all. You're going to be in a wing tee. And as a result, you know, given my size and lack of uh, size and physique uh, to play any position of note uh, in a wing T formation, you know, I, I get put out there um, at what we were calling, you know, uh, the S position or the T right. or the W. They just throw me out there wherever they could put me at towards the end of a game. Uh, but, you know, I, I looking back, if I could do it all again with football, honestly, mm -hmm. I would have quit after junior year when we went to state. I would have just quit and asked. Yeah, I would have just asked to like, hey, let me, can I do an analytics kind of thing? Cause I'm, I'm, I love sports, like I really right, did. Right. And I right. learned so many lessons and all my friends were on the team. Um, and, and, and honestly, I was an AB student. I was in the uh, AP classes, IB program, all of that stuff. So, you know, I'd always known how to be a student athlete, uh, which is why I think that's why coaches put up with me being on the teams because I can help keep guys eligible. And so I, I look back and I'm like, I think I was just tolerated. I made a good scouting <laughs> body and I help people stay eligible. And so, but looking right. back, if I could change anything, I probably would have stopped after junior year and focused more on trying to do something different for college. But 
It kept me in shape. It kept mm -hmm. me out of trouble. Uh, gave me incredible discipline. And I've got lifelong friendships uh, as a result of that. And then my coach played at Abilene Christian. So Alan Wilson played at Abilene Christian and I wanted to walk on there. And he, um, I don't know if he put in a call or not, but they did let me walk on. Mm -hmm. uh, but about three days into my college career, as everybody knows, that was the end of that. Um, I saw guys that, you know, had been balling the previous year in high school and mm -hmm. they got full ride scholarships. And I didn't know anything about red shirt. And I didn't know anything about, um, you know, pulling your weight at the college level. The game was just so fast. And I'm like, do I want to commit to five years of this? Because uh, right. I know I'm, no, I'm going to get red shirted. And I'm like, I don't want to get beat up again for another <laughs> five years. And my yeah. father at that time was potentially facing a layoff. So I had a decision to make. And I just said, you know what? I went to uh, Gary Gaines, who the Friday Night Lights coach. Uh, mm -hmm. He was coach at ACU at that time. And I was went to him and said, look, um, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for taking the chance on me. But honestly, I'm going to have to focus on being a student right now because that's the one hustle I knew I could work. Right. Uh, that's the one angle I knew that if I could be resourceful enough to navigate the institution, um, I would do that. So I, I tell people I'm, I'm never the smartest person in the room, but I'm probably the most resourceful. Uh, right. I'm never, I'm not, I'm not a genius, but I'm really, really, really <laughs> resourceful. And so I found my way through Abilene Christian, got my bachelor's in graphic design, and then mm. I got my master's uh, in higher education with the student affairs emphasis. And I always knew I wanted to do research and work uh, with black men, uh, mm -hmm. because I saw how we were matriculating our institutions and some of us were dropping out and some of our institutions just were not successfully retaining us. Mm -hmm. And so when I pursued a PhD, I always wanted to go to UT for grad school, uh, but I didn't get in for the PhD. Um, I grew up a lifelong Longhorn fan. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I was like, I got to get there somehow. So after I got, I got in the University of Texas at Arlington. So mm -hmm. in the system, right? right. Um, but then I met my wife, uh, Melissa, there in uh, July of 2009. And, Life changer. Uh, it was the game changer, for real. Because <laughs> I, I applied to six PhD programs and got into one. And so, you know, I tell people, it's like, look, God knew what he was doing. Because if UT mm -hmm. had a call, I was going to UT. Like, everybody else could have accepted me. But if UT said yes, I was going to Austin no matter what. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even want to go to UTA. But they made the biggest pitch to me. Because uh, somebody said, you should go visit the school. So I went mm -hmm. and fell in love with the program. Uh, Dr. Jim Hardy uh, took me to lunch and just said, look, I, I think that with your skill set and given the things that you're interested in, Mm -hmm. we could really use a student like you in our program. And so, you know, I was, I was sold. Uh, the minute that I finished lunch with Dr. Hardy, I shook his hand and I'm like, all right, I'm in, man. And, oh, you know, man. six, six and a half or so years later, I finished mm -hmm. my doctorate. Uh, but it was in the middle of that process where I knew automatically that my research interest was going to be on uh, student athletes mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. because I, I've all, again, I've had a passion for sports since the day I was born, just didn't have the ability to match the passion. Uh, mm -hmm. However, there were things I could see, there were things I could observe. Uh, Cause again, I spent a lot of time on the bench and on the right. sideline and I knew what energized guys. And so if you talk to anybody that ever played that I played with, uh, they would tell you, Oh yeah, he, he's an energizer. He's somebody mm -hmm. that, 
I'm going to be cheering loudly. Um, mm -hmm. I, I know my role. And so that's mm -hmm. where that village concept that we'll talk about, that's where I got there from. Like, I knew my role. I knew I wasn't going to ever be a starter at the varsity yeah. level. I knew I was never going to be a household name. You're not going to find tape on me or anything like that. But the one thing that I can definitely lay cl uh, claim to fame on is you see, if I'm, if I'm in the room, I'm hyping everybody up because it's not going to be about me. It's about the team. It's about the right. group effort. And I, you know, that's why I feel like I'm the, I'm the best group partner you can have. <laughs> and so I finished UT Arlington um, mm -hmm. in 2015, but while at UTA, my wife and I got married. Uh, our daughter was born, uh, Alyssa, in 2013, mm -hmm. in January of 2013. In May of 2013, I took a job at uh, the University of Tennessee. Uh, in oh. Knoxville, working mm -hmm. in their uh, student success center. And it was also there uh, where I got a chance to really start working with uh, Division I athletes. Uh, mm -hmm. I was at the University mm -hmm. of Dallas uh, up in Irving prior to going to Tennessee, and I loved it. I worked with the basketball team and the volleyball team a lot because I was mm -hmm. in charge of working with, player, with uh, students on probation or students experiencing mm -hmm. academic difficulty. And I just fell in love with working with athletes. And so every job I've had, we just find each other. It's not right. because it's my actual job. It's just, there's just this gravitation, right? Mm -hmm. And so I um, took that job at UT uh, in Knoxville and I started meeting with the folks over in athletics and during their recruitment visits, I'd see different players and families coming in and uh, they'd see me over in the facility. Um, uh, the, the person in charge of athletic academic services, Dr. Joe Scoggin, um, mm. he was very instrumental in, you know, helping me out, giving me advice, uh, talking to me about finishing the PhD and definitely mm -hmm. learning how to navigate athletic world. Cause I had no, I wasn't in N4A or anything like that. And I don't, and I don't never had a formal position within an athletic department. And so mm -hmm. Joe would always give me advice and, you know, let me come in and just be around the, the his staff uh, mm -hmm. and the team. And then my second, it was like my third year at Tennessee, uh, Butch Jones uh, and the football team mm -hmm. had a uh, program called, it was an honorary coach program. And mm -hmm. I got a chance to be on the sideline at a game, uh, got a game ball after you got to sit mm -hmm. in a quarterback's meeting. And that's where I had already met Josh Dobbs uh, right. before that when I first got there. But that's where I got to know him a little bit better. And just sitting in a quarterback room at the college level was game changing. Right. And, you know, I, I never did buy into the, the notion of the dumb jock anyway. And by that right. time, I had already written extensively uh, in, the, in my dissertation about how untrue uh, that really was. <laughs> right. And so um, that was a game changing experience for me. And then I went to Clemson. Uh, mm. My son was born, Brand my son Brandon was born uh, in 2000 and Lord, uh, 16. Yeah, 2016. <laughs> and um, a couple of weeks after he was born, we were on our way to uh, Clemson. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And that was the year that that year Clemson uh, won the national championship uh, against Alabama. Uh, that mm -hmm. followed there. They won it in uh, January of 17. They won the national title. Uh, I stayed there and my wife and I were, the job was okay, but my family wasn't adjusting to South Carolina. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. From a professional standpoint, my wife wasn't vibing. She wasn't really connecting uh, with anybody outside of work. Um, right. We had a pretty good church home, had a good family, very good connection with our pastor and his family. But mm -hmm. my wife was just unable to connect and find a peer group 
uh, of, of women her age, uh, specifically black women for sure. Right. Um, and my kids weren't adjusting and it was just an all around difficult scenario. Right. And, from, and, and my wife knew and everybody who knew me knew that I always wanted to be back at Texas. I always mm-hmm. wanted to be at UT Austin. And so um, around July of 2017, um, my current job as the Associate Director for Student Learning and Development in Housing and Dining here at UT, mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. position posted. And I had applied for it when they first posted it the previous year, and I mm-hmm. didn't get it. Um, wow. And my friend, my, my good friend, uh, Dr. Aaron Boyles, uh, got the job, but he got promoted less than a year later. So the, oh, that wow. same job that I didn't get opened back up mm-hmm. and... You know, and I prayed and I was, I was like, look, for me to get this job, a whole lot of stuff is going to have to work in my favor. And mm-hmm. shout out to my boss, Dr. Mylon Kirksey, uh, who, you know, uh, selected me and chose me and everything I needed, I got to get mm-hmm. there. And so less than a month after we interviewed, we were here uh, in the Austin area, back in our oh, home wow. state. Uh, mm-hmm. My wife is from West Texas, up near Amarillo. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a graduate of UT Arlington. Um, and so, and that's also where we met when mm-hmm. I got my doctorate. So that's the journey, uh, long-winded way of saying we've been yeah. a little everywhere. Uh, every time we have a child, we move, hence why we ain't <laughs> having no more kids. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like literally within less than six months of having a child, we moving. Gone. So I'm like, you know what? I ain't done with that. I, I, I just don't. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. We're done. <laughs> so you got a car seat with the baby boy. You get a car seat and a U-Haul reservation. Man, listen, that literally, my son was born on March 14th, mm-hmm. uh, literally May, first the second week of May. Go. <laughs> I was on my way, on my way to Clemson. <laughs> that is absolutely awesome. On the way, man. Oh, yeah. wow. But that's all right. But you, uh, I know you mentioned just briefly a couple folks along the way, and I want to yeah. dive a little bit deeper into sure. your mentors. Right. Because we, you know, and obviously we're going to talk about the village in a minute, but I know that in terms of a village, it has to be constructed. And uh, and sometimes we get to choose who's in that village. Sometimes we don't. Um, So uh, if you'll dive a little bit deeper into some of your mentors and how your village was constructed. Yeah, man. I mean, for me, first and foremost, it's always been my father and grandfather. Uh, mm-hmm. Growing up in East Texas, my grandfather lived 10 minutes away from where we lived. And so I was never outside of an hour shot of being near my grandfather mm-hmm. until I went to college. And mm-hmm. so uh, my grandfather was the, was the, was the architect, you know. Um, he taught my uh, father and uncle everything they know about uh, what it means to be real men, what it means to be mm-hmm. fathers, what it means to be present. Um, my grandfather wasn't a man of a ton of words and neither was my dad. Mm-hmm. And so, um, th- but presence, presence always mattered. And mm-hmm. so uh, my first mentor would have to be my father, obviously, but um, you know, and I'm, you know, I love my mother very much, but everybody knows I'm, I'm daddy's boy. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's my hero. That's my go-to. Uh, he was the prototype. He was everything I wanted to be. Uh, my father passed in 2014. My grandfather just passed uh, this past March. Right. And so, um, you know, uh, just having the very strong men in my life um, with zero tolerance for, for mess. Um, right. That was very, that was very, that was very instrumental in, in me becoming the man that I am. Um, 
I made a couple more mistakes than they did because my dad would always joke about how he's like, look, it's hard being William Jones' son. And cause mm. my grandfather's name was William Jones. Mm. My great grandfather's name was William Jones. My dad's name was William Jones. My name is Brandon William Jones. Cause okay. my mother's name is mm -hmm. Brenda. And then mm -hmm. my son's name is Brandon William Jones. So mm -hmm. my dad was like, I decided to switch it up because <laughs> he said, it's so hard living in the same city mm -hmm. and walking the same streets that your father walked uh, right. and carrying that name. And mm -hmm. so he was like, he said, I'm, I'm good with you forming your own legacy. And so that's right. why being Brandon William is just fine. And, you know, but my, my earliest mentor is definitely my father and grandfather. They're the, mm -hmm. they're the, the first two. And then there's a host of other people uh, after that, but mm -hmm. my father and grandfather set the standard. Absolutely. I shout out rest easy brothers Jones. We appreciate you. You know, we, yes, we, you know, that's important. And I know you and I talked about this briefly, you know, I'm, I'm the third in the line of, of William Goodloes. And so mm -hmm. I, I certainly have a, a fondness and appreciation. Uh, yes, for that. And, and my father died. Oof. What, what, how old am I? At mercy. <laughs> 32 years ago. Man, wow. Uh, wow. And, and he and I have the same name and the same birthday. So I, wow. I certainly uh, understand how mm. that works, right? It, mm. uh, and so I appreciate you saying that because that's huge. That, that, that is absolutely huge. And your father having yeah. the, the, the foresight to say, you know, you need to go forge your own legacy in terms yeah. of being you and, and, and your lineage. And I think that's, that's amazing. And obviously in the context of the ancestor architects podcast, yeah. you know, that's, that's huge, man. That, that yeah. decision itself. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think, and let me, let me add something to that. So, mm -hmm. you know, my dad played football uh, mm -hmm. at Emmett Scott high school was the only at that time when he was coming up was the only black uh, mm. high school uh, in Tyler. And so and my dad played running back. My dad was a big man. And, you know, uh, make no mistake about it. My father was not, was not a little man. And then I come along and I'm just this thin, little frail <laughs> thing. And my father never pushed athletics. He never mm. pushed because mm. they, him and my grandfather saw early on, you know, growing up in East Texas, mm. there's not a lot of jobs for black men, especially, you know, I didn't grow up seeing people with PhDs. I didn't grow mm. up seeing mm. people mm. Uh, become doctors and lawyers, at least not black men. Right. And so for me, um, I think early on, my father and grandfather knew that, like, he ain't cut out for blue collar life because <laughs> they put me out there on that lawnmower and I knew what to do, but right. that stuff bored me. Like, I don't want to cut grass for what? I could be reading this book right now, dude. Like, <laughs> they're like, why are you in such a hurry to get back in the house? I'm like, one, right. it's 105. Two, right. like, I played outside all the time. And so right. when I finally did want to be in the house, I'm like, I just want to chill and read. Right. And so my grandmother and my aunts nurtured the, the intellectual side, but my father and grandfather were like, you know what? He, I, I can hear a carburetor breaking down a mile away. I know mm -hmm. what a bad transmission sounds like. Mm -hmm. I know how to change oil. I know how to change tires. I just don't because right. that just wasn't my that wasn't my <laughs> gifting, right? So they knew early, like, look, let's just invest in the part of him that's already right. that's good. So mm -hmm. my dad never ever said he we would he would make it very clear. You don't have to be me, man. Mm -hmm. You don't have mm -hmm. to do what I do. I do not want you trying to be me. So yeah. I'd walk around in his Letterman jacket. I'd run around in his jerseys and stuff. And he'd be like, dude, that's cool. But don't be disappointed if you can't play running back. And right. Lord knows I couldn't. And he was like, don't be disappointed <laughs> if, you know, you don't start on the varsity. You never right. started on varsity. Mm -hmm. uh, he was like, don't be disappointed. He said, because 
Brandon, it is what it is. Just right. focus on what you are good at. And school, you know, my dad stopped being able to help me with schoolwork after the fifth grade. Right. So um, <laughs> once I stepped into AP and IB classes, mm-hmm. he was just like, he look at my books and stuff and go, dude, you need to do what you need to do. So if I had to get to school early and go to tutor, mm-hmm. I went. Um, mm-hmm. And but, but but about age 13 or 14, him and my mother had done such a good job co-parenting and pushing me to intellectual to greater heights that mm-hmm. um you know i i didn't want their presence at the school i'm like i got this because <laughs> right. i'm like if you need this to sign me. something it's a field trip or mm-hmm. it's it's money needing to be spent but make no mistake i'm not gonna be a discipline problem you don't have mm-hmm. to worry about that uh i'm not gonna be a behavioral issue you don't have to worry about that so i don't need you up here and my right. dad hated it but because my dad worked nights and again i stayed at multiple households it gave him a sense of comfort knowing right. that he could come home. He could leave for work at 10 o'clock, come home the next morning. We, we'd literally be passing each other when I was driving. Oh, wow. My dad would be coming home from work as I'm driving to school. We would drive mm-hmm. past each other somewhere. <laughs> He'd be like, hey, man, good to see you. I'll see you after practice. You know? Right, right. Uh, but that's how, that, that's, that was the life we lived, man. But it, it was absolutely a village effort uh, mm-hmm. to make this work. And, and the Brandon Jones story is a story of a what it looks like to have a village around you and people right. who know their roles within mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm a compilation of all those people who were like, ah, we see what you're good at. Let's just continue right. pushing that. So yeah. Right, right. That that's amazing. And you and you know, I I that res that that resonates so deeply with me. And I know it resonates deeply with others. Uh and mm-hmm. so I want you you know, this isn't about me. This is about this is about the story. This is about you. I want you to talk to folks about the village. I know you do extensive work on that. I know that you are a, a huge part of our village. We're behind the whistle. You know, my wife and I, and and we are grateful and and uh, and humbled by by that. Uh, but talk about the village, Doc. Go go. Let, let me shut up. Talk about the village. Yeah, man. So the village is it's an intentional uh, group that you know that each of us is intentional about selecting to be a part of our inner circle right mm-hmm. so you you've, you've heard that statement it takes a village to raise a child and i absolutely believe that i opened up uh the the acknowledgments portion of my dissertation talking about that that, mm-hmm. that village is so important now if it takes a village to raise a child what what's needed to develop and nurture a student athlete Amen. a village what's mm-hmm. needed to have a coach with a healthy balance uh of work and life it's going to be a village and so if we're intentional about that with our kids why can't why don't we continue that into mm-hmm. adulthood because mm-hmm. parents i mean you're a parent you know this we're very selective about the folks we allow around our kids for right. good reason mm-hmm. um we're very selective about the doctors we choose the churches we attend if we choose to go to church the right. neighborhoods we choose to live in everything about our experience as humans uh there's there's a selection process that goes into that but somewhere along the lines we stop being selective about that and then wonder why we're getting a lot of the results that we're getting we're wondering why we got some of the neighborhoods that we've gotten um and i think that what happens is is that we stop we stop being intentional about 
what we allow into the village. Now, I'm not saying that we need to ban people from neighborhoods or we need to, right. because that obviously is going to disproportionately affect certain groups, uh, specifically True. black and brown people. Mm -hmm. uh, so that I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that when you're thinking about Will Goodlow, when I'm thinking about Brandon Jones, and I think about the goals that I have in my life, this isn't taking advantage of people, but there are some things, there's some experiences that I need that I can't get on my own. And so right, again, you, right. you heard me talk about being the most resourceful. I knew I wasn't gonna be a D1 recruit. I knew I wasn't gonna get scouted. So very early on when I was on scout team, our linebackers coach, Lonnie Hagan, shout out to coach Hagan, um, he and I would literally be sitting over there in between plays while mm -hmm. the start while the while the starting offense was over there getting their, the huddle together. Mm -hmm. In between plays, we'd be doing math problems together. Oh wow! So mm -hmm. Worked in the math department, so he would be quizzing me on in between plays. Mm -hmm. uh, he'd be asking me history questions. He'd ask me about the fall of Rome, and like mm -hmm. this man went and flew helicopters in Vietnam and all oh, this wow. stuff. And he's a a white coach at a predominantly black high school, but he saw something in me. And, you know, he knew athletics wasn't going to be the thing either. But I look back and I'm like, man, this dude was getting me ready for life. So right. he, Coach Hagan was a part of my village. Mm -hmm. Alan Wilson was definitely a part of that village. But, you know, he got, man, we had a, we, we had a lot of guys go D1, you know, right. my junior and senior year. So he had other folks. He had other people that had his attention. I wasn't mm -hmm. one of them. And so I had to make my way uh, differently. So the village is something that I think everybody needs to make sure that they're paying attention to. You know, I talk about coaches. It's like, hey, who are, who are, who are the villagers that your players go to? You know, I joked about at the first behind the whistle, uh, <laughs> I joked about how um, Dabo Sweeney didn't know me. <laughs> Dabo right. Sweeney didn't know I existed, but mm -hmm. his players did. Right, and the right. role that I typically have found myself playing, and it's not one that I just go walking into, but, but players and athletes of, every, of multiple sports, they would come find me. They'd be in my mm -hmm. office, and I'm like, y'all got somebody for this. They were like, yeah, but I don't know if they, I don't know if they really for me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, cool. Let's talk about what that means. And so the role that I often found myself playing uh, with student athletes was just one of, advocate and one of just somebody that's just i'm gonna listen and i'm gonna let you be your real authentic self and you right. unless you're trying to hurt somebody which you know that may have come up a couple of times <laughs> unless you're trying to hurt somebody i'm not gonna go snitching to your coach now right. I, I did also joke about the fact that there was a particular coach at a at an institution i won't name that i'm like <laughs> i was the reason why that that dude didn't go fight his coach i'm like right. let's talk about that I'm like, let's talk about what's really going on. And that's why I'm I'm a big proponent of, hey, during two-a-days, can we take some time? Like, we're going to get to the practice and we're going to get to right. the heat. We're going to get to the drills. But can we take one or two days where coaches are going around and just checking in? Mm -hmm. And it's like, hey, Goodlow, you know, last year, Goodlow was, was in his, his mindset was pretty good, but his dad passed away. Mm -hmm. Is anybody checking on that? Like, right. when these players report back, in the middle of June, uh, you know, the, now that the NCAA has released that. It's a lot of killing of unarmed black men and black people that has happened over the course of this time that <laughs> sports hasn't been occurring. Right. Is anybody checking in on these players? Mm -hmm. um, I've been checking in via Twitter and Instagram and texting the ones that I do have cell phone numbers for. And mm -hmm. I'm like, are y'all good? How you doing, right. man? And 
to be honest, not okay. A lot of them mm-hmm. are okay. So the question is, as a coach, if I know that this is occurring and I know that that's not my gifting to have that conversation, why aren't social workers a part of the athletic experience? Right. Um, for, you know, uh, women who are experiencing all kinds of issues. And this isn't, this isn't just black women. This is right. women, especially women in sports, especially volleyball. Why mm. are we not, before, to, before we get to the court, why are we not sitting down doing an evaluation and seeing where their mental state is? Because right. if I know, if I've done a holistic review and assessment of all my players, then mm. I know, okay, here are the gaps that we have mm. right now. And I need the staff according to those gaps or, do trainings according to that. Some people would call that gimmicky. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, you could call it a gimmick, but if at the end of that season, regardless of what's in the wins and loss column, if if, if somebody who should have been on medication their whole life ends up on medication, are they not a better member of society now because they can function like they need to? Right. Um, you know, why is it, you know, if we're checking in, why are we not sitting down and having some real talks? It's like, hey, out of 100 players on my team, 67 of them said this is affecting, this This crisis <laughs> in our country is affecting them. Why didn't we bring in an Emmett Gill? Or why right. didn't we bring in, you know, a counseling psychologist to, you know, like, hey, two or three hours a week. I don't want to know about it unless they try to hurt themselves as a coach so but this is what they need let me let them know y'all they are not going to report to me i got it in writing right here Mm -hmm. unless you're gonna hurt yourself or somebody else i'm not gonna know about it unless i need to but the door is open and building trust and relationships and so that's the concept of the village the village is all about being intentional about being your best self at the end of the day that's really what the village is it's about being intentional about helping our folks be their best selves and when i look at my team when i look at my staff when i look at myself i look around and i go man you know what i'm really weak in this area Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what resource can i take advantage of or utilize to get better in this area to get better not just as an athlete but as a person because the sport will end one day Who's helping me plan for that day? Right. Who's helping me think about that? And some players realize, you know what? I'm a part of an athletic department that just unfortunately is either unequipped or unwilling to help me do that. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I love about what you all are doing with Behind the Whistle and at the Black Student Athlete Summit at UT is because now we get to sit down and intentionally have these conversations. I can sit down and go, hey, look, you graduating this year. What's your plan if you don't go to the NFL? You know, of the five participants that I studied uh, writing my dissertation, only one is actually two are actually still in the NFL. And mm-hmm. it was the two that had alternative plans. Mm. They were the two that were like, yeah, you know what? I, I, I'll, I'll be OK if I don't go to the NFL. I'll right. be OK. And I'm like, here y'all are having successful careers. And I mean, they're not starters uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in their respective positions, but they're part of two very dynamic organizations in the NFL mm-hmm. right now. But the, the one who said, I don't know what I'll do if I don't play football, got hurt his first year. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Felt what would have been a, was going to be a first round draft pick, but mm-hmm. probably stuck around too long, honestly. But the truth of the matter was he, he had great grades, but the thing that he said was, oh, man, I, I couldn't do what you do. I couldn't sit behind a desk. And that's fair. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. But now 
you you he's I don't know what he's doing. Like he he was Mr. Popular. He had a very active social media. Then get in the NFL uh, and got hurt year one and never recovered. Never recovered. Um, and I don't know what he's doing right now. But the ones that were like, I don't care if I go to the NFL. They're mm-hmm. in the NFL and they're doing just fine because they got things to fall back on. Medical right. school and business <laughs> right right, they, they both, right they both were like yo look i got out and they had villagers they, <laughs> right. they were they had very intentional people around them so mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know that, and that makes all the sense in the world to me. yeah yeah no absolutely and i, I know that uh it, it's interesting that you mentioned that is like the the uh i think it's it's not a coincidence that the folks that were not planning on solely becoming uh you know, professional athletes were the mm-hmm. ones that, that persevered yep. while those are, you know, obviously well, I'm going to the league. That's what I'm going to do. And then it happens or it doesn't happen. And now what, like you get to that. Now what you had the people like, well, I'm, I'm good if it doesn't. Right. <laughs> you know, so I, I think that's interesting. And even, and even uh, as you just, you mentioned earlier in the construction of a village. And I was thinking about that, obviously in the athlete or student athlete development uh, component, but even deeper in that uh, on the coaching side or even like athletic administration, yep. right? Yep. Because, you you know, it, yes, it's an intentional practice. So, like, how do you see that as it like in your role as the uh, associate director for student uh, learning and development? Yeah. So I, I give praises to people like Brian Carrington, um, mm-hmm. uh, even Coach Herman. Um, and a lot of the Jordan Fields mm. and a lot of folks over there at UT that are a part of the recruitment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I give them praises because I look at how intentional they are about the people that they bring in during the recruitment process. Right. Um, I, can't, I can't say a whole lot, but what I can say mm-hmm. is I like the fact that, you know, they, we, they bring in non-football people. Right. to talk to parents and families about the UT experience. Right. And so what I've seen there is, in, at least as far as Brian and Jordan and everybody on the recruitment side with football, what I've seen them do is they're very intentional about showing them like, hey, if you come here, these are going to be members of your village. Okay. Dr. Jones is over in housing, but he also has a background in working with student athletes mm-hmm. and also he, he's from East Texas, so I can speak the lingo. You know, I can tell them about food, and I can also mm-hmm. tell them, like, look, some some of the guys that we recruit may come from my area of the state or mm-hmm. may come from my high school in certain instances. Shout out and to so, Beast, Texas. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. Shout Beast, Texas. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, but the thing that I've seen that we do at UT very well is that we're very intentional about that. Uh, I've had the privilege of being able to go to practices. Uh, I've had the privilege of, you know, I got parents that after I meet them during recruitment, they're like, hey, can you, you know, can you peek in on my son? I'm like, they got coaches for that. I was like, they going to find me. I was just like, no, they'll they'll find me. They're like, are you sure? I'm like, ma'am, they always do. And my office is literally in a glass case. Like, I I cannot hide from students. In the fishbowl. I, I it literally is like when you walk past my office, I, I have one solid wall mm-hmm. and three went three big ceiling to floor windows because I wanted to be there. I want to be visible and I want to be present. And so I think that what I've seen at UT that we do a really good job of is 
We introduce people who to, we introduce players uh, in every sport to the folks that are going to be a part of their respective village. Mm-hmm. I think that one area that not because football does this very well. I think that I'd, I was telling uh, Haley the other day that, you know, I'd like to do more of that with volleyball. I'd like right. to, I'm, try, I'm trying to be more present with all of our student athletes, not just mm-hmm. in football. Football is my favorite sport, but right. you know, I want to Hey, look, if you on the rowing team, if you swimming, I don't care what you're doing. We, you you need people, you need resources, you need to be connected. Mm-hmm. And I, I look at myself as a resource, uh, I, like, look, I'm, I'm the plug. Look, if right. you want to know how to get your grades up in math, let me connect you with these people over here. Yeah. Oh, oh, snap, you, you looking into, uh, we had a recruit, uh, his mom said that uh, he wants to do his own fashion. And I was mm-hmm. like, as big as he is, I was like, I know you struggling to clothe this boy. I said, but I said, but check this out. I said, Michael Strahan got his own clothing line. Yep. And I'm like, Dr. Moore, shout out to Dr. Moore, our vice president for diversity and community engagement. Yes, um, they take a group of people to the NFL headquarters every year, to Wall Street, to mm-hmm. the NBA, to Rock Nation uh, in New York every year. And I'm like, he, it wouldn't be hard to add Strahan company to that list. Right. And I said it's affordable clothing. You can get it at JC Penny. Like this is a straight hand polo right here. Got some pants in, in the closet. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's affordable. And I said, I'm not saying that we could promise him an internship, but I said, I know the folks here at UT would show your son how to reach out and make that contact so that right. he can go learn the business from somebody that plays his position and mm-hmm. played his position at every level and succeeded mm-hmm. and is a Super Bowl champion. Why wouldn't you want? to set him up with that. And yeah. she was just so appreciative of that. And I'm like, that, that would be fun. So yeah, I, think we have to be, I think we have to be intentional about just saying like, look, what kind of experience do you want when you want to go to college? Mm-hmm. What kind of experience do you want with, what kind of life do you want to live after your sport or after you graduate? Oh, is, is graduation even your goal? You know, mm-hmm. I give Clemson credit because I used to um, oversee the, um, the, uh, Tiger Promise program, not oversee the whole program, but I was one of the academic advisors uh, in the Tiger Promise. And so what I did was I helped student athletes that when they finished with their respective sport as a professional, if they wanted to come back and finish their degree, Clemson gate paid for it. And so I was responsible Mm -hmm. for helping folks get their schedules so that they could graduate. Mm -hmm. And Clemson, I I applaud Clemson for the the effort there to make sure that funds and resources were available in that regard, because it's like, look, you you know, you, you gave a lot to this institution. You still rep this institution as a professional. Here's our way of saying thank you. And so being, being a villager in that role was fun. I met a lot of cool people, but Mm -hmm. you know, I, I never came at it as a fan, but I always came at it as a person that's like, look, I, I support you, you know, Hey, Let's talk about something beyond your sport here. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about your life. So it's very important to be intentional. And I like what we're doing at UT in showing like, hey, here's who will be a part of this for you. Right. Yeah, definitely. And that's that's absolutely critical. I know as a high school coach and what we talk to, you know, some of the athletes that we we work with that are able to be recruited or even interested in that process or yep. wherever it may be, because it obviously not everybody's going to get to play at no. uh, Clemson or no. UT. We just no. going to be honest with or even at Abilene Christian. It doesn't right. you know, the level doesn't matter. But what what matters in the in, in in the in the long run is obviously being intentional about who you surround yourself with. Yes. And that's not something that uh is necessarily taught well enough at the secondary level, in my opinion. 
because I don't know that people understand that, that that's what's supposed to happen, especially for folks who are not athletics uh, centric people. Right. Right. I agree. Because, you know, I think, and I don't know this for certain, and this is an assumption, so please correct me if I'm wrong. The student experience is different than from the student athlete experience. Those are completely different lenses. It is. Uh, you know, and so if, if you, two if, different you spoke, worlds. Uh, yeah, if you don't mind talking about those two worlds, just yeah. Yeah, and again, I, you know, I like I said, I wasn't a starter in my respective sport, but I still went to practice. Right. I still had to be there when those guys were there. I still had to go to film. I still mm-hmm. had to go to weights. I still like, and I was an AP and IB student, so I still right. had, and I had a, so I had a harder academic schedule, even mm-hmm. though I wasn't a starter in in any sport. So mm-hmm. let, let me make that clear, because even being a starter, especially at the college level, right. it is different. Different it's life. Different. Yeah. You know, so at the at the secondary level, though, I think that the reason why we don't focus on that is because the, the stakes are different mm. in that you got high stakes testing. And then depending on the state that you live in, you know, certain sports take a precedent. You know, we're in Texas. So football is a religion. No and doubt. Friday nights. And again, I'm from East Texas. So mm-hmm. Friday night, you shutting down. Ain't nobody going to work. <laughs> not until 10 o'clock. Between no seven and ten, when them lights are fired up and on, man, listen, you're not gonna you're not gonna find too many people not listening to the game on the radio or not at uh, Earl Campbell Stadium, right? Or Mother Francis Stadium there uh, in Tyler, like, like it's just not gonna happen. Right. And so when we talk about you know being intentional about who we're surrounding these kids with, I think Alan Wilson did a good job of that. I will mm-hmm. I will say that I look at the players that were on that 94 team that went undefeated, won a SB, went to state. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that th- those guys were our heroes. You right. know, growing up right. as a kid, everybody wanted to go to John Tyler because mm-hmm. of those guys. And you see them at church, you see them at the store, mm-hmm. and you saw the work ethic. You saw, like, man, those guys were kings. Those, mm-hmm. and, and when they come back to Tyler now, they're still treated like that. And it's wow. been, that was 1994. <laughs> and it's almost, they, they may as well have played that game last week because right. they were celebrities. And that's a level of prestige we never had experienced. And, but when I look at the people that Coach Wilson surrounded us with, you know, Morris Anderson was quarterback on that 94 team. Mm-hmm. Morris was out there doing drills with us uh, at practice. Morris was in the locker room with us uh, in, you know, dur- during our playoff run in 2000, in, in late 2000. Um, you know, uh, Darwin Brown uh, was mm-hmm. on that team, ended mm-hmm. up playing uh, football at Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. Um, he was there. He was there in the locker room. And then, of course, you got guys like David Warren that played at Florida State uh, mm-hmm. that just freaking supernatural just athlete of mm-hmm. a man you know right uh, right you see him walking around and it's like oh man like <laughs> a hush would fall over the room but also right. we bring in preachers every mm. once in a while you know mm-hmm. he played gospel mm-hmm. music during you know uh during workouts at times he would, you know yeah yeah that happened that would happen because i mean he was also the athletic director so right right <laughs> you know, yeah, so he, yeah. He, you know that that was one thing about you know not having to teach a class yeah he'd also play play whatever music he wanted to play in there logical um, place for the athletic director people <laughs> yes sir yes sir so he um so so coach would often bring people in to kind of talk to us uh before practices or before something major uh, mm-hmm. but also he was very selective about folks that 
couldn't be there. So, for right. example, uh, that helicopter parenting mm. and showing up at practices, critic, we ain't allowed that. Um, <laughs> that that wasn't allowed. There were parents that weren't allowed to come to practices. Now, thank mm-hmm. God, my father was not one of those people. But there, there's one specific parent whose whose son played for. Hey, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. <laughs> His son uh, played for. Uh, coach Wilson you know in the early years but his youngest son came along and he was just out there being critical and all he got banned from practices really oh yeah oh yeah and it was it was it wasn't uncommon to have police at practices sometimes right, right. Uh, because you know this things things happen it's East Texas and it's, <laughs> yeah. there, there's no there's gates but mm-hmm. if you knew where to go to at, at around 345 or four o'clock you could walk up on any of our practices whenever mm. you wanted to but I think that there was enough respect from the community that mm-hmm. that kind of died down, but it wasn't uncommon for the dads in the right. community to show up after work right. or on their right. way to work a shift at train uh, mm-hmm. or Kelly Springfield mm-hmm. or carrier. Cause those were the jobs. Right. Uh, right. That wasn't, that wasn't uncommon for them to stop by to see their boys practicing and talking mm-hmm. reminisce on the good old days. Right. Right. As a coach, you gotta be selective about that. And you, and you should absolutely be thinking about, you know what, who can I bring in to motivate my guys? Mm-hmm. Who can I bring in to, I'm, I'm having trouble reaching Goodlow, who can I bring in to help me connect with him differently? Because right. there's something going on with, with my connection with him and I'm not getting through to him. You know, mm-hmm. I don't I don't recall anybody from the Positive Coaching Alliance showing up at any of our practices, but right. knowing what I know about mental health now mm-hmm. and knowing what I know about trying to get the most out of people, I think that that might have benefited uh, a couple of players through the years. Mm-hmm. Might have benefited, you know, some of the coaches and their development. And saying, you know, why do we have to subscribe to this uh, break you down mentality to build you back up? You know, me and Tim Crowder were talking about that because he's from Tyler. That's my cousin. He's from uh, Tyler. Played football at UT as well. Mm-hmm. And we were on Twitter talking about this the other day. Like, why in the world do we have to? Why, why do I have to break you down? to build you up like like that's not how life is gonna work why can't i meet you where you are and mm-hmm. see how you respond to things and go okay if i and I'm, not, and I'm not saying that a coach can't raise their voice i'm not saying right, right. That can't get upset but what i am saying is why can't you do like tony dungy and and, and use that quiet mm-hmm. strength and like mm-hmm. dungy would say my guys knew i was mad i never had they, i never had to communicate that i was angry they knew i was angry Right. And I didn't have to say it. If they were underperforming, the standard I set showed them that they're underperforming. And so right. I never had to yell. I never had to get in anybody's face like that because that's not the kind of man I am. And so right. I think that, right. you know, as a coach, like, why wouldn't you want to be developed like that? That's what the village does. It's like, hey, you want people in your corner that are going to check you and go, yeah, but did you have to do it that way? Right. What if he res- what if you what if he responded differently? Just like about the coach on scout team helping me do math problems. Right. This man is a Vietnam vet and could snap just like that. But he knew how to connect with me. He connected with me intellectually. Mm. So if I was gonna make a play on scout team, I'm like I'll go hard for this man because right. Right. he he found a way to connect with me 
And, you know, had I been bigger and had I had a little bit more speed, I would have absolutely loved to play linebacker for him. But mm-hmm. they were, we were deep at the at the LB spot, <laughs> you know, so that wasn't going to happen. But the truth the linebackers like, in East Texas. <laughs> man, listen, you know, we had Fletcher Session, who ended up playing at Texas Tech. We had Paget McGee mm-hmm. uh, ended up playing at Oklahoma State. Man, listen, that, that wasn't nobody going to play linebacker. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't going to get in the game. Boy, that's all them boys did was live and breathe football. So, right, like, nah, right. <laughs> that's beautiful, man. No, I, I think you're right. And, and and if you don't mind talking about that a little bit further with the, the coaching development side. Sure. Because I know – obviously personal experience, professional experience, mm-hmm. that doesn't happen very it, – it's – well, let me, let, me, let me not say that. Let me say this correctly. Coaching development takes place. Mm-hmm. Of course Now, does it, does it take place to the, to the extent that you just spoke of or having the wherewithal to meet you where you are, mm-hmm. or does it just end with the model that's been in place for a long time, that mm-hmm. militaristic model? And I'm not saying that the folks that came up in that system who didn't know better at the time Sure. Are wrong. That's not what we're doing. We're not casting. Not, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Uh, uh, because obviously, in in certain contexts, that breakdown, the build up model, that's all you knew, and that's what you coached, right? Right. Right. <laughs> so that's what you coached. But now it's it's, it's kind of like that adage: when you know better, you do better. You do better. So if now. you don't mind talking about how 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 one might go about constructing a village to ensure the development of coaches. Yeah, man. No, and I appreciate you asking that. I think the first step is taking an assessment, like look mm. around you, take an assessment and see who is around me. Mm-hmm. Who's, who's, who's helping me spiritually in those areas that are of utmost importance to me. Right. Who is helping me spiritually? Mm-hmm. If that's an area of importance, when it comes to mental health, am I, am I going to therapy? Do I even believe in the power of therapy? Right. And there's research out there that shows that coaches, and I talked about this at the first behind the whistle, mm-hmm. coaches can play the biggest role in the prevention of uh, sexual violence uh, per- that's perpetuated by men. Mm-hmm. Because who do you spend the most time with as an athlete? Your coach. coach. Who are you around all the time? And so if I'm somebody that you look up to and you see all the time. And I'm like, hey, y'all, I got to wrap practice up because I got a therapy session. Hold up. Therapy. Coach going to therapy. <laughs> right. Hold up. What's wrong with coach? Well, you find out ain't nothing wrong with coach. Coach do that to stay in check. See, that's a game changer, mm-hmm. especially coming from where a lot of us are coming from. And sport is all we've ever known. But that level of, as Brene Brown says, that level of vulnerability Right. That right there is what's usually missing. So if I'm mm-hmm. a, so if we're we're talking about that first step, take an assessment of what's around and who and what is around you and where are the gaps? What's mm-hmm. missing? Okay? And so when you find what's missing, how are you going to how are you going to fix that? Are you going to staff that? Are you going to get some volunteers to help with that? Right. Um are you going to structure your week in such a way, coaches write everything down. They got note cards and tablets and Everywhere. all this stuff. You got the whole day, every minute scripted. Why can't we devote 30 minutes, an hour a week to where we, I'm looking back and I'm going, hey, position coaches. Um, I, I did, we did an evaluation uh, when the guys came back and reported in, besides taking their weight and measurements to see if they got fat or something like that. <laughs> Let, let's go deeper here. Let's right. do a quick evaluation. Let's get a quick assessment of where they are mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, some of our guys are testing off the charts for depression. 
Right. So before we go to putting the helmet on, I'm I'm gonna need a couple of y'all to go like look, and I'm gonna give you your list. And I'm like, look, I need you to check in with these guys. Mm-hmm. And don't just go in there and blow smoke. Like literally just check in. Hey man, how you doing? And right. leave leave room for them to be honest and say how they're really doing. Because if on a quick evaluation, you got people testing off the charts for depression and you about to go line them up in 105 degree heat, that's right. a recipe for disaster. Absolutely. That's a recipe for the transfer portal, mm-hmm. uh, at least on the <laughs> yeah. college level. Right. At the high school level, we ain't thinking about that because the stakes are higher for coaches. It's right. win or get out in certain states. True. So you got to take that assessment. You got to see where you are. And then you got to adjust accordingly. Right. Once, you make, once you've identified those gaps, make that adjustment. Y'all, the reason why we fell apart in the fourth quarter, now that I've had a chance to look back at this, the mm. reason why we would fall apart toward the end of volleyball games or the reason why we would pull up at the end of races uh, as in track is because something's mm. going on up here. Mm. And I got to find a way to reach you here so that I can reach you here. Once right. I can reach you in these places, you'll run through a brick wall for me, but I wouldn't ask you to run through a brick wall. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, right, right. you know, but if I said, hey, don't pull up so fast at the end, run through. Mm-hmm. But I, if that ain't registering, let me ask, what do you know about track? Come to find out. Some of these kids don't know the fundamentals. Run fast, you know, turn just, left. <laughs> thank you. Run and, and, and keep going, right? So, <laughs> right. And, and so you find out, like, hey, in basketball, I noticed your shooting motion is off. Talk to me about your experience with basketball because mm-hmm. you got African kids who are coming over and they first time touching the ball is week three right. of, of the semester, right? right. So take an assessment, um, identify the gaps, and then make the adjustment. Make the right. adjustment. And once you've done that, then you start looking at, all right, do it again. Right. We're still missing. What, what are the results that we're getting as a result of having these folks around? But it starts with me as the mm-hmm. individual. As the coach, it starts with me. So at practice, you're gonna see my pastor every once in a while. Right. Just that. We ain't gonna we ain't, we ain't necessarily leading prayer or nothing like that. You right. Because right. mm-hmm. that's that's my village. That's what right. I need to stay in. Right. That's for me. <laughs> yeah. And then every once in a while, I'm gonna have a psychologist uh, that mm-hmm. I trust. That's there. My therapist might show up, and, right. and my coaching staff may take note and go, "Hey, um." You know, I've been noticing coaches real different now, man. Meetings have been running more smoother. Can I mm. mind if I hit your therapist up? Well, of course. That's why I got him there. Right. Uh, the social worker. Some of my guys aren't eating. <laughs> some of my like, and and I, and I got them out here running till they throw up. Wait a minute. Yeah. Some of them aren't eating. Some <laughs> of my girls time. on our volleyball team. I'm, and I'm not saying that this is what's happening here or anything mm-hmm. like that. But hypothetically, some of our girls are, and this is real too, though. Yeah. In some places, some of our girls are struggling with, you know, anorexia and bulimia mm. and other disorders, and mm-hmm. just being a woman, especially being a black woman right now. Right. Who's right. checking in on those things? Right. And so maybe if we built in some time before competition or during the week, hey. Mm-hmm. Um, Thursday's practice is going to look a little different. Well, mm-hmm. we're going to start the week off. The, the beginning of the week should probably be the mental health focus. Because mm-hmm. if I can start the week there, come game time on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, or whenever you compete, I'm in a different space because I've had a chance to process the game from the other day. I've had a chance to process life. I've had a chance to 
exist in the student world as well as the athlete world. And so just continuing to make those tweaks and those adjustments. And if, and again, I know that numerically, cause I know that there's probably a coach that's going to listen to this and it's probably thinking, I don't have time for that. Okay. Right. Who does? <laughs> right. Who, who's, who's got the time? Because there are villages that don't mean your players well. Right. Exactly. We, we, we see the NCAA reports every year. We, we hear all kinds of things about what happens to students when they go home. There mm-hmm. are villagers that don't mean our players well. So exactly. somebody got to check in. Now, yeah. again, I know that with 100 players or with 50 people and you just being one person, maybe that's when we get some volunteers. Maybe we need right. to get Fellowship of Christian Athletes there on campus one day. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to just, you know, talk to the district about contracting out a couple of times a semester where to, on, on, a, on, a, on the same day, same time, mm-hmm. all the athletes get to talk to a therapist. Just right. to talk. Right. And, what, and, and the things we'll find out Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, could change everything. Like right. if, you, if I got a profile, this is what I love about how some college coaches are doing. I love how they, they got, you got a profile on your player. Mm-hmm. Take the time to, to get a profile so that I know like, oh, wait a minute. I, 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 I got in his face the other day. He's on medication for schizophrenia. Ooh, right. that wasn't the move. Yeah. <laughs> and I yelled at him, right. but his daddy used to yell at him. Or yell at his mama, and here I am replicating what he's seeing at home triggering for the sake of competition. <laughs> and mm, let me rethink that. I, I bet I can get that same level of energy out of him without do resorting to that. And, right. and again, I get in the moment things happen. I'm not True. naive. True. I'm not foolish. Uh, but at the same time, I'm wondering if people know that there's a different and a better way. And right. I think that when you look at who's around you, it's like, man. I bring this dude in every year, but he don't seem to, the players don't seem to respond to that this dude <laughs> more like they used to. Still maybe bring I to bring me. somebody else. Yeah, maybe I ought to bring somebody else in. You right. know, or, you right. know, maybe I ought to try something different. You know, yeah. or maybe once one size won't fit all, what mm-hmm. might work for the quarterbacks won't work with the defensive line. True. You know, I had the, you know, because I wasn't a starter, uh, when I was, I got brought up to the varsity from JV, I had the privilege of floating between different position groups right. uh, on game day. And so I would be over there with the D lineman all the time. And I'm like, it's a different world. Coach, and shout out to Coach Giddens. Coach would just, he'd just be sitting over there talking to him like, they're, like they grown men. These 16, right. 17 year old kids, he's just talking to him. And then when it comes time to do the business, he got the best workout of them. Right, right. I'd go over to the linebackers group with Coach Hagan and listen to him as long as he let me. And right. I'm like, okay. I see. So this is how he gets it out of them. Right. Militaristic, but at the same time, he treats them like he knows that and he responds to them like he knows they need to be responded to. Right. He give you the look if you miss a call, right. and that'd be the end of that because you know what's coming next. <laughs> right. Over to the DBs group. You already know what's going to happen over there because that's the other position group that I was supposed to be a part of. So right. it just really depends, man. Right. It, it, it takes – this is why it takes a village. You exactly. already have a village as a coach. You got position coaches. Mm-hmm. That's a village right now. <laughs> right. Who, who, who's, who's helping my QB coach? Mm-hmm. Who's helping my offensive coordinator? Like, because right. when he leave practice, he be on one sometimes. <laughs> <you know? laughs> like, 
you know, right. co- coaches have lives outside of this right. thing. Right. Know? Yeah. And yeah. I, I think that's, that's one thing that's always uh, overlooked. You know, I remember when I was coaching uh, way, way back when I used to want to wear a, a t-shirt. I pro- I used to threaten I was going to get one made said on the back. said that's not my kid. That's your kid. Uh. You know, because sometimes I think, you know, and it's, it's always easy. You know, we talk about nobody's going to worry about your money like you. You right. know, or your baby like you. Uh, right. And I think sometimes people forget that there are still those those are human beings behind those whistles. Yes. Right. And yes. so it, I think absolutely uh, it's absolutely critical to understand and appreciate the fact that we need to find ways to help nurture and develop their growth because that doesn't stop. And I think it you doesn't. said that early. Yeah. You know, it doesn't. we got we to do that. That's and, and to not to do be- it is crazy. Right. And that's why I like what you when you're talking about the ancestor architects, you know, um, you know, we do this work here uh, in my role at UT, mm-hmm. where I have a program that helps students who want to increase in their cultural competence. Mm. And so mm-hmm. cultural competence being their ability to communicate effectively across difference, no matter who's standing in front of them, can they monitor, can they ad- adapt their behavior, right. like change it in the slightest bit or however much they need to adapt it to be able to communicate to the person that's talking to them. One of our goals uh, in housing and dining is that our students, uh, we got three learning goals that students become better Mm self-managers that they identify, that they um, engage in community and that they uh, develop their cultural competency. Mm -hmm. And so as a result of that, one of the things that I tell people when they move in is I'm trying to help create the type of person I want teaching my kids at school. Right. I'm trying to create the type of neighbor that I want in my neighborhood. I'm trying to create <laughs> right. the type of doctor that when I walk into the, that when they walk into my room, they know how to treat me as Brandon Jones and not just the name on a chart. I'm trying mm-hmm. to create police officers who know how to deescalate instead of reacting. Right. You know, those are the kind right. of things that those are the kind of villagers I'm trying to create. And mm-hmm. so as a coach, or as a teacher, or in my role, because I'm also a professor as well, in, in all those hats that I wear, I'm trying to create people that I want out in the world having a meaningful impact in those ways. Right. And so because I know that that's my role in the village, mm-hmm. I don't care if you're a student athlete, or if you're a faculty member, mm-hmm. or if you're the principal, the janitor, my job is to make sure that whatever encounter be it positive or not so positive, I mm-hmm. want to make sure that you walk away feeling heard, mm-hmm. validated. And if we run into each other again, there's a longing to let's dig deeper now. Right. Because I want, because again, I want to create a setting and an environment where we helping each other grow. And that's not going to always be this charming, pleasant <laughs> experience sometimes because conflict is good we think tension right. is bad but that's what working out is is tension right. tension exactly. and conflict can be good and mm-hmm. co- and cultural competency helps with that True. and so I'm, I'm all about just making sure that we're creating the we're, we're helping to create the type of citizens we want in the world right. and at the high school level is so important yeah. like you got four, you are you're working I mean at every grade level you're working on a finite amount of time mm-hmm. but in high school you got one shot. This is it. You know, when they come in as ninth graders, they shouldn't be the same developmentally and mentally uh, when they leave, when they walk across the stage in 12th grade. There should be some intentional experience where when they leave, they understand the world that they're going into and they know how to start finding their fit and their way in it because you've given them the tools and the resources necessary. But 
if high stakes testing and winning at all costs is all we've mm-hmm. taught them, we're setting them up for struggling uh, unnecessarily in college. Right. So, yeah, and, or and the workforce or the military. Yeah, and and certainly a struggle that is is uh, mostly insurmountable. Right, and unnecessary. It is. It is <laughs> right. It's just unnecessary. I mean, because you know, I, I don't think anybody in Minnesota is worried about their state test scores right now. No, <laughs> you no. know, what I mean, like They're that. Not. And I understand that there's certain standards in life that we need to beat. I'm not talking about that, but you understand. Right. I mean, the, the premise is still the same. It, it is. In the grand scheme of life, we need to know that you you can function and have the cultural competence or the empathy or the emotional mm-hmm. intelligence to be able yes. to interact and exchange ideas and understand yes. that and there's going to be times when that you're going to need that bee to sting something because you now. still need that honey. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Come uh, on now. And so... Uh, and now, now let's shift a little bit because I want I got we got to talk about we got to talk about the good Reverend Doctor. Ah, come on now. We got to talk about some of the work you're doing in the church because yeah, hey, uh, churches build uh, great ancestors too. Schools, they do. churches, Absolutely. you know. I think it's ironic that the courthouse, the schoolhouse, and the church house have the same setup. But uh, you know, I'm just, I, I don't. I'm sorry. I I, I know those things are supposed to be separate. I'm just. <laughs> Yeah, hey, you, hey, you, you, you preach it to the choir, brother. Listen, uh, <laughs> I, don't I don't think it's ironic. I think it's intentional. <laughs> right, <laughs> it right. I think it's away. crazy. You know, those meeting rooms look just the amphitheater. Yeah. Anyway, let's mm-hmm. talk about the work you're doing with the church and some of the stuff that's going sure. on with that. Sure. So um, for those that don't know, I am a active uh, preacher. Uh, I attend uh, Greater Mount Zion uh, Church here in Austin, Texas, uh, under the leadership of the wonderful uh, Pastor Galen Clark, um, whom I've had the pleasure of knowing, gosh, for the better part of uh, eight years, uh, long before I ever even moved here. My wife and I actually attended uh, the Concord Church uh, there in Dallas, Texas, Mm -hmm. uh, under the leadership of Brian Carter. And that's where Pastor Clark uh, grew up and was licensed and trained under uh, E.K. Bailey. And of course, Mm. Brian Carter came up under E.K. Bailey as well. So uh, Concord is home. Um, But I've been in church my entire life. starting in Tyler, went to the same church as the entire Campbell family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I literally was responsible for holding the door for Earl Campbell's mama every Sunday, uh, <laughs> as far back as I can remember. There you go. And when mama, and when mama Ann uh, didn't see me on Sunday, she'd tell my dad, like, where that boy of yours at? You know, <laughs> so I, I grew up uh, in, in church. Fun, funny, real funny Earl Campbell story. Mm-hmm. So my wife and I first started dating and uh, I, we had walked in, we had gotten there late. And we came and sat down and everybody came and was walking up and Earl Campbell was sitting right in front of us. Now mm-hmm. that's not uncommon for Earl right. to show up at church at back home. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not uncommon at all. We don't draw any attention to it, quite frankly, because he doesn't, he don't really roll like that. Right. Uh, he's uncle, he uncle Earl to everybody. Right. So right. he was sitting down, just hanging out and everybody just was walking up, you know, after you do your offering, everybody was coming mm-hmm. up, shaking hands, saying, hey, hey, how you doing? And my wife looks at him and goes, why is everybody coming up to him? I was like, oh, babe, that's Earl Campbell. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's, just, that's just what people do around here. And she leans in and goes, who's Earl Campbell? <laughs> and, and he looked back like this and just busts out laughing like, oh, man. He's like, really, nephew? I'm like, I don't know, man. Uh, and, and so that, and I had and, and having to break that news oh, to my father after church that day, oh, he was like, 
He said, you sure about her? Yeah, you got, look, that's one of them side eyes, like, boy. You, Man, well, you know. she did the same thing because at UTA, she was she was in class with Billy Sims' daughter mm. uh, at UT Arlington, Bree. Mm -hmm. um, and so we were all out one night. We were all hanging out one night. And I, we were just talking about growing up in East Texas and, mm -hmm. you know, between Earl Campbell and Billy Sims. And Melissa was mm -hmm. just like, y'all, who is Billy Sims? I was like. <laughs> Look, now some villages, that'll get you kicked out. Yeah, it really would. I'm like, how you best friends with his daughter and you don't even know the man? I'm like, oh, God. So every time we were driving back to Tennessee, we'd mm -hmm. have to pass through uh, Hooks, uh, yep. where he from. We'd have yep. to pass through that part of East Texas. Uh, Jeremiah Trotter's from out there too. Yep. Um, Joe Hubbard. Yes, sir. Man, I I never let a moment pass. I'm like, so you do know this? She's like, shut up. I know it's where Billy said. So, but yeah, but in terms, of, but church ch church is important for that reason, right? Right. Right. That's, right. That, that's where that's my that's your first village in in, in more mm -hmm. ways than one. And so the work that I do, um, you know. My ability to do public speaking and stand mm -hmm. up in front of people all started at church. I grew up right. going to vacation Bible school as a kid. Um, been getting put at the microphone since I was probably two or three years old saying mm -hmm. Easter speeches and everything. And that's why I learned to articulate. That's why I learned to speak and get over shaking the nerves of being in front of people. Right. And it was, it was at church where all that started for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as early as, gosh, 15 or 16, I was – delivering the, the, the lessons and the high mm. points for the day. My pastor, uh, Ephraim A. Collins at Hopewell mm -hmm. Valley Baptist Church there in Tyler would always let me go to the microphone and during Sunday school, be like, hey, Brandon, you want to deliver the, the, the keynotes for the day? And, right. you know, he let me do that. Yeah. And, you know, becoming a preacher wasn't surprising to anybody in the family except mm -hmm. me. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, everybody else was like, oh yeah, we know that. And so right. I don't come from a, I don't come from a long line of preachers or anything like that. My great grandfather uh, was a minister. My grandpa was a deacon. My dad was a deacon. And mm -hmm. so uh, the work that I do, I'm active. Uh, I'm over the uh, education ministry. We have eight causes mm -hmm. that we subscribe to at our church and that we mm -hmm. believe heavily in that are biblically based and um, under mentoring uh, un underfathered uh Young Men uh, mm -hmm. is one of them. So I'm on the uh, men's mentoring ministry uh, leadership team. And I'm also uh, the, the leader of the uh, education cause, which is okay. uh, helping improve literacy rates, mm -hmm. uh, reducing dropout rates in Austin okay. and the Central Texas area, and also equipping parents uh, so that they can serve as resources to and for uh, their children. And so uh, I'm also currently... Uh, co-ministering with the um, student ministry there mm -hmm. uh, at Greater Mount Zion. So that's the sixth through 12th graders. Mm -hmm. um, I'm helping to, I'm serving on the preaching team for the sixth through 12th graders oh, there as awesome. well. So very busy, very active mm -hmm. in our church, always have been. Everywhere I go, uh, mm -hmm. finding a church home is very important. Uh, it, 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 it definitely has made the difference in my life. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, what? And that's, the, that's the lessons that I got from my grandfather and my dad was that uh, to be a Jones, means you subscribe to three things, faith, faith in God, service to other people, and love of all people. Mm -hmm. Those are the three three things it means to be a Jones. And that's what got passed down to my dad. That's what got passed down to me. And that's what I'm trying to pass down to my kids. So, right. you know, the church, 
definitely keeps me busy because you know that's a village oh, and, no doubt. A role that I, and i play a, a bit of a different role there you know mm -hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a soul influencing role right right no that's that's huge and i and not that kind of that well not kind of that definitely uh, leads us into really our essential question and then we're going we're going to speed through the rest but here's and sure, i know sure. that you've answered this in more than one way but okay. i want to give you a chance to just answer it directly yeah it's our main question how do you build great ancestors? Man, listen. So, back. yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me, so let me tie it all in together because I know we got to get through this. Uh, yeah, hey, you, I'm, yeah I'm you take talk. your time. This, this, take your time. Take your time, <laughs> yeah. preacher. Yeah, man. Um, how do I build a, a greater ancestor? Number one, it starts, recognize that it starts with me. Um, I can't build anything or pour into somebody something that's not in me. Mm. And so um, I try my best to make sure that I stay filled up with the things that people need mm. so that when I'm pouring, it's coming from an authentic place. And so the way that I build a better ancestor is that I'm, I be the best version of myself uh, that I can possibly be. So I stop trying to be my dad. I stop mm. trying to be uh, people that mentored me through the years and have helped me get to this point. And I started being the best version of me, meaning that there's going to be things that I accepted my limitations. You know, uh, I accepted that I can't be a jack of all trades and then be a master of none. I got to stay in my lane and focus on what I'm great at and make an impact in the world through that. And so uh, for me, building that better ancestors, being the best version of Brandon Jones. And with that, that means that I get to bring creativity uh, and learning and faith to everything that I do. And by doing so, uh, I feel like I'm going to leave the world in a better condition than the way I found it. Mm -hmm. I believe that every person I come in contact with uh, is an opportunity to have a meaningful impact, whether it's a hi, a hello, a smile, right. or a no thank you in the way that I respond. I try to make sure that people feel important. Mm -hmm. um, the last part of that is for me, more than anything else outside of uh, professing my faith and making sure that I live out what it actually says, mm -hmm. uh, and not just talking about it, but actually being about it, um, is making sure that I'm botherable. Uh, mm -hmm. And here's what that means. My, my pastor, uh, Galen Clark, always says, uh, I want to be a botherable uh, pastor. And mm -hmm. so I've taken that approach uh, to the work that I do. And what botherable means is, I don't want people to be hesitant to call me. Mm -hmm. I don't want people to be hesitant to reach out. It's like, like even when people say things like, man, I know you busy. I was like, yeah, but we all are. So right. I'm, we here, let's talk, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, with my kids. I don't ever want my kids to be hesitant to come down the stairs. Now, right now, I do want them hesitant <laughs> to come down the stairs. But, you know, I don't ever want them going, can we go talk to daddy? Can right. we go in there? You know, my dad worked nights and would sleep during the day. and and he never was mean about it. Mm -hmm. uh, but when we, when we go back there and wake him up, you know, look, that man is snoring the walls down <laughs> back there. And I'm like, man, I sure do want, th want this $20. Or, man, I sure do need to ask, can I have this snack that's in here? And right, I right. hated doing it. But my father, was a he was a botherable man. Mm -hmm. And no matter what time you called him, no matter what time you, you reached out, my dad would always um, – 
he, 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 like, he sit up. You can hear him sitting up in his chair. Like, no, nah, I'm good. What's up? What can I do? What can I help you with? Right. And I want to be, I, I want to be like that. And I think that if I'm, if I put myself out there as someone who can be botherable, that'll mm-hmm. probably be a t-shirt I make one day. Yeah. Make you, um, yeah. Hey, 4X, 4X. I got you. You know, uh, I want to I put that out there because being right. botherable means that like during, especially during times like this, mm-hmm. um, just because you, you reach out, doesn't mean that if I can't respond to you now, doesn't mean I'm not going to respond. And right. I think that we need to start being okay with being botherable because right. I, I got text messages. I got a slew of text messages yesterday from people uh, at the end of the work day. They were just like, man, I need to process this. I need to talk. Right. And I was like, I was there on Tuesday. I get it. Right. I've, I've spent the last, you know, I'm married to a therapist. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I'm like, look, I, I get it. And mm-hmm. so I, you know, cleared my calendar to try to make some time to listen to some folks to, you know, just kind of talk through this and process it. So being botherable uh, and being your best authentic self and being you, like, don't try to be anybody else. Don't try to be the best version of Will Goodlow because there's only one Will Goodlow. Right. So mm. don't don't try to be him, you know, be, mm-hmm. be you. And you when you can, uh, and, and what that means is you got to learn who you are too. Though. True, true. You got to learn more about yourself. Learn where you come from. Learn about your actual ancestry. Because mm-hmm. what you'll find when you do that is, oh, we have a history of this in our You know, I look at, you know, I'm not trying to put my, my mom and sister's business out there, but with both of them and some of their mental health struggles, mm-hmm. I'm like, that goes back a couple generations. Like, that didn't just start with one. When you really do the research and you listen to certain family stories, I'm like, man, this is this goes back. This is deeper. And I'm glad I'm, I'm, I'm able to observe it and see that. And we can't be ashamed of the, the, the depths from which we've risen or right. from where we're from. That's why I'm loud and proud about being from East Texas. You know, right. I, I, I have zero shame about where right. I grew up and I have zero shame about, you know, growing up in the country and, you know, bouncing around from house to house that made right. me who I am. Right. Um, you know, and that, it was because of that that I'm able to. St- I know the shoulders that I stand on, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna teach my kids that, and anybody right. I come in contact with. So that's the way that you you build a better ancestor. Long winded way of answering. No, hey, look, you could keep going. I'd have been fine with it. We'd have paid. <laughs> we'd have raised the offering and everything. If you oh know. man, <laughs> I'd have been good. Uh, no, but and I and I appreciate you saying that because that's. You know, the, the hard part, and I think you, you mentioned it earlier about uh, uh, Dr. Brene Brown with the just being vulnerable, the power yeah, of vulnerability. Yeah, and and it just in, in vulnerability, obviously, uh, lies authenticity. Yes, you, sir. You just got to just be you. And I know yeah, uh, something that I've, I, I've told you before, and I've, I was, I've told the listeners before, you know, I was absolutely abhorrent as a father, and I'm still building and growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I started my my fatherhood process <laughs> a long time ago <laughs> as a teenager. But yes, uh, you know, I was listening to a song this morning before we we connected. You know, it, and I know you've heard an old gospel song. You know, but I'm still here. Mm-hmm. You know, still uh, here, man. Had had all those struggles, but so I, I say that because I always tell my son uh, Omri, my my young son, I tell all of them. You know, just be the best version of you. you yeah, know, man. It's just a simple question: is be the best who? And if I don't get that, you know, whatever that child I'm talking to's name back, we got a problem. <laughs> yes, I got to be the best Brandon. You know? And it took me 30 plus years to do that. Right. You know, I'm exactly. 36. Right. I'm 36 now. I, you know, I can honestly say that was about, I was about 32, mm-hmm. 31 or 32 before, you know, 
that finally kicked in because right. I spent the better part of, you know, I graduated from college in 2006. Mm-hmm. I spent from 2006 to around 2016, 2017, trying to be the best version of everybody else. <laughs> and it, it, it served me well in certain areas, mm-hmm. but in other areas, it was horrible. It right. was a terrible experience. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I, I, that's why I, I got real comfortable just being me. Right. I, I'm, I, and, I'm, and I'm learning that. And these right. last, gosh, four or five, these last four or five years have been the best because mm-hmm. I've taken the time to really like just focus on me and right. get better at being me so that when I stand up and speak, I'm not trying to be like Dr. Moore. I'm not trying right. to be like Devin Walker. I'm not trying to be like Jonathan Sprinkles, another uh, <laughs> UT grad, phenomenal speaker. I'm mm-hmm. not trying to be like those people anymore because right. I understand me now. And right. because I understand right. me, and I know my limitations and I know the areas that I, I need to improve in. I'm good. I can walk into the room confidently knowing, hey, the, the village concept ain't going to be for everybody, but right. it's for somebody. Let's, right. let's, 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 let's talk about it, you know? <laughs> and for the folks it's for, they're going to reach out. And the ones right. that don't, you know what? It still applies, of but course. it's going to apply differently at mm-hmm. different times. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, this this the speed portion now. Let's do it. Now look, we ain't on the track. Now I, you know I used to run track too, but we ain't on the track, so don't worry about it. you. Man, come run, on, run fast, lean left. Uh, what are you reading? Oh man, uh, I'm finishing uh, Kylan Moore's uh, "A Dream mm. Too Big." Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a slow reader, and I've been reading the autobiography of Malcolm X for years, and I'm <laughs> I'm winding I'm wide in the corner on finishing that. Uh-huh. Um, I'm also finishing the other Wes Moore. Mm. And I can't wait to finish the autobiography of Malcolm X so that I can jump into Dr. Peniel Joseph's The Sword and the Ooh. Shield, the dual autobiography of yeah. uh, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to diving into that one. So I mm-hmm. uh, can't wait. But yeah, I'm, I'm an avid reader, believe in reading and literacy. So you'll always find me reading a book. I promise you that. Yeah, I got I had to get my money right so I could get uh, Dr. Joseph's book. Um, <laughs> to get my money. My money right. All right, now this is the top three, top three list. Top three gotcha. list. I started doing this with uh with Coach Kyle Adams. And I, you know, it's intentional because I know, you know, I know you I know you 36, you grew up in the in the in the era. Here we go. Yes, Get sir. ready. Now I need your I need your top three. Now I want you, I want you to I want you to brace yourself now. Now you you can flip the uh the genre if you want. I won't I won't fuss, but I need your top three. Rap group or duo? Top three rap group or duo? Oh, or duo. Pick, pick one. You don't have to give me both. Okay. Top three. Oh, man. Woo. Well, top three. Look, you, you waxed all the way through that. that man, answer. listen, Doc. That, that, that's, that's a tough one for me. <laughs> but if since I got to pick it, um, UGK. Uh, diamonds up against that wood. Man, come on now, Texas, because you know Texas representing. Um, gotta go with Run DMC, that, that the, the icons. Mm-hmm. Um, ah man, so many, so many. Yeah, that was dope. I, that I, I like. Set you up. I said you, you up. did. You set me up badly. And then Outcast. I thought Outcast. Okay, okay. Those are my top three. Okay. See, now one of these days I'm gonna get somebody. I'm gonna ask them who the greatest MC is. I'm just, Ooh, living. <laughs> yeah, living? see, there's always a preface, right? You got to, you got yep. to do it. 
All right, favorite uh, favorite food. Give me give me your top three menu items if you had to go. If you had three meals that were gonna make you the absolute best Brandon Jones ever, Ooh. what would those three meals be? Oh man, so the number one meal of all time for Brandon Jones. Uh, give me that plate. Which with my which my grandmother was the was the architect of this one for me, the mm-hmm. salmon croquettes, ooh, rice and biscuits. That's that's the number one OG goat, Brandon Jones. Like you want you want to send me to the Lord right now, <laughs> make that meal for your boy. That it's a wrap. Like that's number one all <laughs> number time. One. Everything uh, else. Um, Ah man, I got some. I, I, I'm a foodie, so mm-hmm. uh, I need to watch watch these carbs. Uh, but <laughs> um, man, after that meal, man, it, it just really ain't much else after that for me. Everything That's else is one. food. <laughs> yeah. Now, now again, I like a I like a good shrimp fried rice. Okay. I like, I like a good shrimp fried rice, and then of course, being from East Texas, gotta throw my barbecue in there. Right. Um, uh, burn ins on the brisket, uh, ribs. You know, uh, potato salad from somebody up there at the church that's over the age of 50. Nobody under 50 should be yeah, making nah, potato you, salad because I don't trust you. You ain't <laughs> live long enough and struggle through anything to be making the potato salad. So, yeah, you got to be 50 and over to make potato salad. So, Yo, potato, look, I need my potato salad prepared by yes. hands with wrinkles. Yes, pulled up in the old, for the <laughs> The Dodge Shadow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or a oh, cutlass, a LT, you know, a oh, Roham or something. Come on, the Merlot Roham. <laughs> exactly. I, I need, look, yo, I need you to have, I'm not somebody going to get mad, but I'm going to say it anyway. Go I ahead. need you to have had a Jerry Curl. Come on now. Listen, <laughs> that means you've lived life. Come on. I'm trying to tell you. I, <laughs> I need to know that your Legion Curl game was strong for you to Man, put listen. potato salad on my plate. <laughs> with, with, with the church fan with Martin Luther King on it. Exactly. <laughs> we, yes. We, one day we need to talk about how the church fan had Martin Luther King and it was always sponsored in whole by a funeral home. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Yeah, man. Or or in Tyler. <laughs> Speaking of Jerry Curls in Tyler, I know all the folks in East Texas gonna remember this one. Uh, Stan the Curl Man, <laughs> he had a beauty shop, and he was and he and he was sitting in the wicker basket chair <laughs> with his leg crossed in a white suit with his Jerry Curl. He was on all the church fans in Tyler. No lie, Stan the Curl Man was on the fan. He was on the back of the programs at a few man. Listen, Stan the Curl. Hey, listen. Hey, curl, everybody man. back home remember that one. You had MLK, you, you had the old Ella Fitzgerald looking fan. Right. Yeah, the John hell you. F. Kennedy sometimes. <laughs> right, right. And Stan the Curl Man. And yes, Stan sir. Stan the Curl Man. All right, that's beautiful. Now, we know you like sports, so I ain't even going to ask you about that. <laughs> I ain't even going to ask you about that. Give me, give me the top three movies. Top, my top three movies. Top three. Now I know I got an idea. It's going one of them going to have to be connected to a comic book. But go. Uh, well, not all of them. But <laughs> <laughs> top. Th- I mean, but because I mean, I love like we we talking any genre. Um, you the, the well, if we talking any genre, the the Brandon Jones list of favorite movies. Number one is Five Heartbeats. Oh, got got a That's the goat. That's the goat. Um, the second one is House Party. That's. Mm. That's that that is that is the that is a Brandon Jones classic. <laughs> um 
Rest in peace. You know, because all because my comic book movies they 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 exist in their own you know kind of realm. Man. Mm, okay. Um, okay. So, but so, but in any but in any genre, the house party, five heartbeats, and then. Um, Man, you know what's the third one? I got man, listen, you making me choose these. Um, choose wisely. You know what? Into the Spider Verse. I throw that one in there. That's a top three movie for me. Okay. Miles Morales you got a, a biracial Spider Man doing his thing. Oh yeah, the animation was off the chain. Soundtrack. Old boy got in trouble for running his mouth yesterday <laughs> on Twitter, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, hey, cutting up. Why not? I, I like yeah that that that'll be my top three but yeah top yeah. three five heartbeats I know that movie backwards and oh, oh my gosh what? Robert Townsend iconic man what you said my office hours are from nah <laughs> the five <laughs> oh look I we could talk about that all day look there's yeah, so man. cultural uh relevant pieces that we need to throw in there but anything with Robert Townsend is always gonna challenge you yes it will. <laughs> it's gonna have a message and it's gonna right. have a message right right it's it's so beautiful but doc we appreciate you man but before we let you go yeah uh since i know you got that uh you got that robert townsend in your soul uh but uh but let's i want you to tell the folks how they can get in contact with you sure. not only with the social media but talk to them about the, uh about the b speaks podcast because i know it's coming <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, first, if you want to get in contact with me, it's pretty easy. Uh, I am at Dr. D-R-J-O-N-Z 84 on Twitter and Instagram. And also uh, at B. Jones Speaks, all one word, at B. Jones Speaks uh, on Twitter and Instagram as well. If you want to follow and keep up with what I'm doing uh, through my public speaking. Um, in terms of the podcast, so I've been thinking about this for a long time now. I do a podcast at work, uh, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed it. Uh, I've done a couple podcasts this past year, and it's just fun. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy talking, obviously. And so I'm like, look, I, I, I can't take up airspace on everybody else's uh, <laughs> show. So I was like, man, I might as well do my own. Right, and so right. what, I'm, what I'm working on is a podcast that really focuses in on uh, how to be but we're talking about that best villager, how to be mm. the best villager and how to play and how to help others do the same. That's mm-hmm. really what this is going to be all about. And so we're going to focus in on making the most of opportunities, mm-hmm. um, how to choose mentors and how to be a mentor. And then we'll talk about um, this thing I'm calling maximizing. I mean, it's mm. not the strengths quest version of it, but mm-hmm. with that making the most of uh, the time, the space, the opportunity, the resources and motivation, all those mm-hmm. different things. It's going to be exciting. And so yeah. I'm hoping to push that out next month. And okay. so I'm trying to, you know, you may be on there one day. So right. you know. I might yeah, look, if I, look, if I get to that level, I'm retiring. I'm just letting y'all know. <laughs> nah, man, it's gonna be it's gonna it's gonna be fun, and and that's the goal for me is to have fun, but mm-hmm. also really fun with a message, you know. Right, uh, right. Because you know we're in a we're living in a time right now where you know it's unprecedented mm-hmm. what, what we're experiencing, and everybody is experiencing this differently. And so you right. see people saying, you know, if you don't come out of this with a business, or if you don't come out of this right. with your book written, well, that's not everybody's capacity. And right. so I want to help people make the most of where they are. So mm-hmm. if the best you can do is put one foot in front of the other every day, let's, let's learn how to show appreciation for that. If right. the best you can do is developing an LLC and coming out of this with a business, great. Let's yeah. talk about that. And let's talk to people 
who are doing that. And that's really the goal of the podcast for me is to be able to just sit down and talk with folks who are just lit, being their best selves and right. understanding that, you know, and then talking to them about like, who are the people in the village that inspired you? How, mm -hmm. how do you get this need met? Who's your therapist? Those different right, things. So I'm right. really, really, really looking forward to uh, getting that out there. So mm -hmm. yeah, that, and my wife told me the other day that you know she she she's gonna be the co-host, and I was like, I ain't gonna argue with you on it, but you know, <laughs> you gotta be here to record. You know, she's still essential personnel, right? In right. So I'm right. like. You gotta be around to record this thing now. So look, so. you were essential. I, uh, I'm a re I'm recording as soon as you hit the end of that driveway. <laughs> yeah, that that that'd be a quick way to not have a co-host, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> look, we will we'll we'll carve out some spot on the couch for you if you need. But yeah, we gonna do it. Don't break up a happy home. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't gonna do that. Ain't gonna do that, brother. <laughs> I don't do it. No, but uh, man, I, I tell you what, Doc, we appreciate you. I, I know. Thank you. Uh, you have a, a lot of things to do with your 86,400 seconds, uh, just like the rest of the world, but you yeah, chose man. to give uh, several of those to us, and we are we are certainly honored, uh, you know, and I need folks to understand. I said I stand on this man's shoulders because I do. He can mm -hmm. be younger than me, and I can stand on his shoulders. Y'all don't get don't get all sensitive. I ain't, being right. funny. I ain't cracking jokes. I'm just paying homage and respect to the, the work this man does and, and the Thank things you. that he's earned. And we appreciate you, sir. I appreciate you, brother. I appreciate so, you, man. Thank y'all. Yes, yes. Anytime, anytime. This is Brian the Whistle. Thank you for listening. See you next time.